So I'm here today with uh, Kyle Sailors, a good friend of mine. We've been around the world together, actually, and so had a lot nice. of fun. He's got a couple of stories he wants to share with us and how faith is working in his life and how God has, has kind of moved in his and his brother's life, and it's really some interesting stuff. Um, you know, we all go through troubles, trials, and tribulation, and we're trying to figure out where we're going in life, and so I just want to get right into it. Um, before we go too far, Kyle, you want to say hello? Hey, how's it going, Ken? Good, good. good. <laughs> hey, listen, the first thing I, I'd like to share with people is really probably about Dinner with Dreamers. Is okay. that cool? Yeah. And uh, so so we can uh, see how God has been using you. Now, as I understand, you grew up in a pastor's home, and that kind of wasn't the best experience in the world. But uh, eventually, you overcame it or something. <laughs> no, and, it was pretty good. I, I actually didn't have any. I had a pretty good childhood. Uh, I, I don't think, I literally don't have any really bad memories from childhood. Okay. I think, yeah. I think <laughs> later in life, there was a few bumps, but you know. Maybe I confuse you with with some of the other pastor sons. Oh yeah, most of them. I'd say ninety eight percent of them. <laughs> yeah, one of the things that uh, you, you did talk, tell, talk about, and this, this kind of feed into that, but but how you actually got interested in in film because Kyle's a film producer. Him and his brother has Sailors Brothers Productions. So they got a production company. That's the reason we went around the world because we actually made movies together. And just, uh, just, just. So, so you want to tell how you kind of got started? I remember uh, stories about I, I don't know, The Incredible Hulk or something. Yeah, some movies yeah. and Terminators. So my dad was a cop, a pastor, and a truck driver, usually two at a time. So uh, I couldn't do anything wrong, and uh, we couldn't actually go to the movies either. So uh, <laughs> the the odds of us ending up in in the the realm that we are is kind of ironic, but. So, uh, one night, I will tell you this, hey, I don't think I've told this on anywhere. Uh, I was, my, my dad being a cop, he, we were in a little tiny town called Chico, Texas. And he was, I think it was like 30 miles away, maybe Munster, Texas. I don't even know. I haven't looked that up, but, uh, or maybe we were in Oconee. I don't know. But anyway, his police was police station. He was a jailer at the time, but he still went on patrol. It was like one of these, you know, Andy Griffith sort of towns. And, uh, and anyway, I was at home and I handcuffed myself up. I got his handcuffs out and I locked myself up. And my mom, normally there's the key around, but she's like, oh, we don't have the key anywhere. He's got it. So we ended up going to Munster, Texas, and I had to wait in the jailer's office right by the jail. And they're like, well, he's out. You know, he'll be back in a couple of hours or something. So uh, until then, I guess we'll just turn on the TV. So I sit down in the jail as a little kid. I don't know, maybe 10 years old or something. And handcuffed in the in the jailer's office. And he turned on The Incredible Hulk. And that was one of the shows that really just like impacted my life, I guess, in a way of, uh, you know, if you... Uh, don't make me angry. <laughs> I might turn green. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I just, we, that was probably what I did most with my dad was watch TV shows. Like, it was mostly Andy Griffith, old shows. We really, like, my brother had a crush on Haley Mills. He didn't even realize she was like the age of my mom. You know, he was really depressed when he found out that. But <laughs> Very cool. So, uh, as I recall, there were certain things because your mom didn't want you to see, I guess, violence or hear cursing or something like that that uh, actually kind of inspired you to get started because uh, this is really where you started editing film, correct? Yeah, so like my mom, you know, I mean, we're 
she could almost blend into an Amish community, <laughs> but uh, not not quite. But uh, anyway, she, uh, you know, so I was just, but I read through the Bible and I was reading like, man, there's a lot of violent stuff in there. Well, we couldn't watch. I wanted to watch Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone and Chuck Norris. And so anyway, she wouldn't let us watch those. So. I got out the Bible, and I literally, I don't know how long this took, a few weeks, I went through the entire Bible, and I wrote every terrible thing I could find in this notepad, every violence and murder and <laughs> death and <laughs> everything. And so anyway, I took it to her, basically like a lawyer would, I guess, and I said, look, Mother, I wrote down everything, and I started reading through some of them. And I said, these are all in the Bible. You said I can read the Bible, but how come I can't watch Chuck Norris, you know, kick somebody... And she was under a dilemma because she'd never really thought about that. And so she's like, okay, well, I guess if there's nothing else in there, no language, she goes, I guess it's okay. She didn't know what to say because it's in the Bible. So anyway, I, um, so I took, I would go and rent, this is kind of funny, I'd go to the VHS video store and I would rent a movie and bring it back home. And we had a VHS camera, so I popped it in there and I would go back and forth between the VHS camera and the VCR, and I would edit all the curse words out or anything else bad in the middle of the night when she was asleep. And so the next time I had, I had copies of all the movies I wanted to see, Invasion USA and Rambo or whatever else. And, and that's how I learned how to start editing. And uh, and then we got used that video camera. We started making little commercials and little short films before I really I really realized what short films were. And, man, uh, that was kind of our fascination began. Wow, so that's cool. Tell me about Dinners with Dreamers. I, I mean, I know about it. Tell them about Dinner with Dreamers. Very interesting. So uh, I was, I went to L.A. We got our career started in Texas. I went to L.A. for seven years. Got did everything from, from hit music videos, some movies, documentaries, TV specials, TV shows, docu-shows, pretty much everything on the planet allowed me to travel all over the world. But... What I noticed is in Los Angeles, people were not very uh, apt to introduce you to anyone. So that everybody would brag about who they knew. Oh, I know this person, and I know this person. But if you said, oh, wow, I would love to meet them, they ain't ever going to introduce you. <laughs> They're just like, you know, oh, yeah, good luck, you know. like So you never really knew if anybody knew anybody or not, or if they are just talking junk. And so when I got to Nashville, uh, I was just like, I had this party at my house, and this was, I'd gone through a tough time in my life, and I had this party at my house, and it was really just to get together because I traveled nonstop, and I go, I work hard, I love what I do, I don't really view anything I do as work, I just feel like I'm on a nonstop vacation of the earth, and uh, so I, uh, I decided, man, I need, if you don't talk to somebody long enough, you just eventually lose touch, so it was really a simple premise, I was going to have a party at my house, a get-together, and it kind of burst out of, it's a longer story, but basically it burst out of that. Two weeks later, when I had this idea of invite your friends over, I had 150 of my friends that came over. And it was the first weekend after New Year's, and we called it the Log Cabin Launch Party. And from that, a few months later, I heard all these people said, man, I met this person, we're doing this and this. They're like, you need to do another party. So I did, and then I had another one. And then I thought, you know, I was like, hey, I know, if I know everybody, I was like, you know, invite your most interesting friend. And so basically they did. And then when they did, 
I put out a little thing of business cards and I literally had these big stacks. And so it grew from 150 to 200 to 300 to 400 to my last one was 700. I was like, okay, I may not, I may hit my house. That's, I might want to put a cap on that. But uh, it was not, not at one moment. But uh, anyway, so what happened is I said, okay, if I just meet all these people in 2.4 seconds at a party, it's really not. Any, you're not really developing any sort of a relational development or know who they are. It's just, you know, it starts to be a bunch of strangers. And so I basically just said, I'm going to invite like 25 people to go to dinner at one time. And so I messaged like 25 people and said, hey, there's a secret dinner. You don't know where it's at or who's going to be there, but you know why. Share, connect, change the world. Are you in or out? And out of that, they all said I'm in. I think almost all of them, maybe not one, but then then... Uh, and then we got together and it was so awesome. It was just like, you know, it was, there was no agenda with it. It was just like, we got together like friends and they all, and, but none of them had ever met. I don't think at the table, except for me, I'd met all of them individually. And then they just made friends. And that was really the simple premise. And they told their stories about what they do. And they're like, Oh wait, I need to talk to that guy. I need to talk to that guy. And being a shy kid my whole life and, uh, and then becoming, Unshot when I went to college, I guess you would say, um, I realized like I try to make it to where everybody feels welcome, no matter if they're a public speaker, no matter if they've ever talked, no matter if they've ever shared their dream. And so that started what was for the next five years, I've gone to dinner by accident, really one after the next, but probably with five, 6,000 people. I don't even know. I lost count somewhere in there. Yeah. So some of the people that, that come are pretty interesting people. They're, they're pretty powerful people, really. Uh, I think you told me you had a president of a country. Is that correct? Yeah. So when it started out, you know, it's just like my friends. And, I mean, I have, I have some pretty cool friends, but, like, you know, I said, when you start bringing the most interesting person, well, for the first six months, I even had somebody ask me. They were like, why are you even doing this? You know what? The only reason people are coming is to meet your friends. And I was like, well, yeah, that's kind of the point. It was really a rebellion against L.A., which was <laughs> like, if you're my friend, you're my friend, and y'all meet each other and do something, why do I care? Like, why would I have to, like, be in the middle of that? And so it really multiplied. I was like, you know, I work 24-7. Like, I go, and I'm there's only certain many projects in life I can do. But if these two people meet, and they go do a project, it increases my impact in the world without literally doing anything other than having dinner. And so it it kind of, as time went on, somewhere along the way it flipped, and then suddenly I'd get phone calls. Hey, you know, I've got uh, the, uh, the, you know, the vice president of Disney. I want to bring him to one of your dinners. I've got the guy who, uh, the president of Malawi, she was one, the ambassador for Africa ended up coming. I've got the, you know, from a general from the U.S. Army, most of them entertainment people, executive producer at DreamWorks to like, you know, people who've won Grammy Awards and people who have had hit songs and people who have had, you know, the guy that created VeggieTales. I mean, I don't even know. Like, I've so many people, you know, uh, that I literally have, I have to look it up. <laughs> I forgot. And then it multiplied. And so what I would do is I would say, hey, I want you to share your story. So like Taylor Swift's manager or or actually the video director for Taylor Swift or this or that, they all have stories. And they're sometimes the people behind the scenes are the ones who really know everything. And sometimes their stories are more fascinating. And so I would ask them. And a lot of times if they're behind a star, 
the star is always the one that gets asked to tell their stories. And so a lot of these people, they haven't really told their story often. And so they come to my parties and I hear their story. And then that's where you really cracks open your mind. And I'm just as inspired, I think, as anybody else that ever has showed up. Because once you realize, wow, once you hear somebody's story, you realize they're just a person just like me. You kind of put them on a pedestal. And you realize, wow, they came from, you know, maybe nothing as well. And they built this. And so... Anyway, yeah, that's some of the cool. Well, you you know, we just actually got through with uh, having a dinner with Dreamers night. And my wife said this just maybe 20 minutes ago. She said, you know, I don't see how anybody could go to one of these and not be inspired to do something. And I think that's the whole point is because, you know, you just you just draw on each other. You draw on people and you find out that most of them are just ordinary people who took a risk. Yeah. And, they're, and they're just, you know, like, how do we get to the next thing? How do we get to the next thing? And, you know, there's a Bible verse that says where one will put a 1,000 to flight, two will put 10,000 to flight. And so we're using that premise. We're coming together, and we're, and we're really joining our, our thoughts, our, our dreams, our hopes, and there's synergism. And, you know, we're actually joining our faith together because we're, you know, doing a Faith Works podcast. And, and we're, we're encouraging each other to move forward in whatever we're called to. And I think it's an incredible thing. So, but it, but it is kind of private and it is by invitation only. So, you, you know, do you want to talk about that for a minute? Why, why you kind of made it that way? Yeah. So like, like I say, it was just my friends and when it started. And so this was never any grand scheme of life or nothing. And I've never monetized it. I don't ever make a penny on it. I did, and I've done that on purpose, like because I feel like it would take away the authenticity of it. Uh, but like it just became, it was a hobby of expanding your friendship circle and care, and and whoever came in the door, I didn't really care what their background was, what their their socio or whatever level they were. Uh, we had some people that were brand new that started out, but it was just like it was my friend. I said, if you trust them. And you think they're a cool person or a good person or somebody who has talent or whatever it is, I'm going to trust you. And so it's kind of like self-vetted by the people that are in it. And they say, oh, when they meet somebody, they'll tell me. They'll be like, they may not have a 50 friends, but then they'll meet somebody. They'll be like, that's who needs to come. Okay. Like they just know. And in a, in, a, in and I, there's no way to really describe it because I don't guess there's anything else like it I, that I know of. I hate networking groups and I don't really care about parties. And so I'm not for sure how... Uh, Became uh, the great Gatsby of Nashville. <laughs> Throwing these big parties and this stuff because I don't really care. But I think that's maybe why it works because I don't care. Like I don't get anything out of it other than the satisfaction of like sometimes if I feel like I'm supposed to do one, I just do it. And it doesn't matter who shows up. I don't care if I meet anybody. I don't even care. And I ever inevitably every single time for five years there has never been one time I've regretted it. There's never been one time that I didn't see somebody said they walked up to you. They're like, I know why I came. I was supposed to meet this person. And maybe that was the reason was for that one person to meet somebody else that would help their life. And I don't really follow up. That's their own deal. You know, I don't know what all's happened, but I know I've heard hundreds of stories, hundreds of things that really change people's lives just from having dinner. You know, you know when we were in Nashville, I think there were, I don't know, 50, 75 or a hundred people probably in that room that night it might have been 100 people and it's it's been a few years back and I, we met some really interesting people and some people that have impacted my life and actually allowed me to do some things that I couldn't have done otherwise and uh, Louis Johnston for example and, and he helped supply food to us 
and we were able to give away four trailer um, semi trailers of food, one point eight million dollars, and it's because I went to a dinner with Dreamers. And Louie feeds homeless people all over the place. And, and so we were just talking to him. So at the end, I just grabbed his ticket, you know, his bill and paid it. And he said, you know, nobody's ever done that for me. And which I thought was an incredible story. And, and, and so I said, man, you're, you're sowing all this food. Surely somebody should have bought your dinner right now. <laughs> and so uh, later on, after you know we had that conversation, he called me. He says, "I've got some food if you'd like to do it." Of course, I passed her church, and I, my church was blessed with four truckloads of food, and it's it's just an amazing thing. So so I've reaped personally from it, and and I liked it that we were in that larger setting. And even though we were, we were just talking amongst ourselves and. I think Lisa Johnson spoke that night, and you know she's she's done stuff with Google, and I mean yeah. she's just an amazing person, and and we we got to to kind of meet her and have some time with her later on, and, and it was really cool. But you know, I also have been when there has been like ten people, and it's just as incredible to me with ten people as it was the night that there was like a hundred. So if if you ever get a chance to go. Um, it would be advisable for you. And, and you, uh, there was a, a newspaper that covered, actually found out about it, and, and, and they, yeah, yeah. I was interviewed. I did this. It was kind of an event outside of, it wasn't a Dinner of Dreamers, but it was a women in film, and they had me come as a guest. Now, I, now to me, this has always been a secret. So, like, I didn't know that anybody actually knew about this outside of my friends. And, uh, and so I show up at their their event and it's at this restaurant in the private room at this restaurant and it is literally like jammed wall to wall like with all these women from this film and I'm like man I was like man y'all got a crazy good organization here I was like who you got coming to this thing they're like just you and I was like me and they're like yeah we never had this many people and I was like what the heck I was like how do these people know about it I was like I don't know but uh, anyway somebody there wrote a story now, she asked me, hey, can I interview you? And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, and I was just talking my, you know, normal, like, blah, 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 like I am now. <laughs> and uh, now, she didn't tell me. I didn't know. But that story ended up in the Huffington Post. And so uh, so here's this little secret dinner group that no one can find. It's in a secret Facebook group. So you can't even search for it anyway. So I didn't know anybody knew about it. And then all of a sudden, it's in the Huffington Post. And then uh, I guess that's uh, the... <laughs> the next chapter, I don't know. That's that's pretty cool. So let's shift gears a little bit because I want to talk about uh, you know what you've been doing since uh, COVID kind of came along and and you know uh, I I know the story, but there again, I'd like for you to share you know how how this vision uh, this this time you, you took it as a time to reset your life a little bit, and so you and your brother sat down and, and wrote the vision. Habakkuk chapter 2 says that you should write the vision and make it plain so that he who reads can run. And so Kyle and his brother Kenny actually sat down and developed a business plan. And, you know, I don't want to get into too much of that because that's you share as much as you'd like. But but uh, tell people how you spent your time and, and how it's working out for you. So I was like, you know, it's coming up and we kind of had this feeling and, and through my network anyway of Intel, like they we knew this was kind of going to end up a shutdown. So I was scrambling to get some projects that maybe a documentary or something that, you know, you could do a lot of editing in, though we direct or produce or whatever, we, we do a lot. So I thought I found some, and then 
they all fell apart. And two days before they announced, like, okay, the shutdown is on this day. We're shutting this whole puppy down. This was in Tennessee. Uh, well, the two weeks before that, back up, uh, some friends came into town and we just went to dinner and wanted to hear some of our cl- crazy stories of our random runs with celebrities and stuff. And anyway, I hadn't seen them in almost 20 years. And they said, hey, Kyle, we've been praying for you. Can we tell you kind of what's on our thoughts? And I was like, yeah. And they said, you know, we feel like, you know, you, uh, during the shutdown, you've been through a lot of tests and this is going to be the final test. And you've got you've to really focus on what your priorities are because once once this hat passes and it'll pass like everything does then there's going to be a huge shift and there's going to be we really feel like maybe you know you're going to shift the way you do business and you're going to do this and anyway it's very specific and very detailed and it just put it in the back of my head you know it's kind of like wow you know maybe i do like they said you need to be prioritize yourself and write it down so fast forward two weeks the day that they said okay tennessee's shutting down i knew i'm going to be stuck at home <laughs> and uh, I was flipping through, you know, somewhere on social media. I can't remember, maybe Instagram or somewhere. And Emmett Smith, I follow him. I'd done some projects with him years ago. And anyway, it popped up, and my audio was on, which it usually is not. But he said, if you don't write down your vision, someone else will, and it'll be their vision, not yours. And I realized that because we're more creatives than we are business guys, I think, we always kind of left that to the the hands of a businessman. You know, like we'd bring in a partner and they were like, okay, you, well, what happened is when they wrote our, when they wrote the business plan, it was really them writing the vision. And then when it came to the end of the thing, it was almost as if, well, thanks Kyle and Kenny for this great idea. Appreciate it. You know, and then they, and then basically we were getting cut out <laughs> of the thing that we created. And that when that happened like multiple times, and it had just recently happened with somebody that we really trusted, and they just literally like cut us out. Like, uh, well, this was our vision and our connection. So we said, you know what? This time we're going to do it. And so we did. We spent the next 60 days, literally till the day that, that Tennessee reopened, 100% focused on that. And we spent the most, I mean, there's no way. I spent two months developing a plan, every detail, everything. Never done that before. I could have never done it. I, I travel too much. I do too much. And the day that Tennessee opened, I sent it over to some people who are friends, and and I wanted their advice and something. I went to bed. I stayed up all night. 7 a.m. I sent it out. 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I had some calls. By the end of the afternoon, I had four movies that said, if you do this, we're going to bring our movie there. And so basically, like, the greatest shift in my life happened in one day after I finished writing our vision definitively on what we wanted to do. Yeah, that's really cool because, you know, that's really how you have to do it. You know, you need to speak things into existence, whether it's through writing or actually speaking it out loud. The Bible talks about, you know, having faith and having the ability to receive from God on the things that we actually say. And when you say stuff, and whether it's in or whatever and you can't really write things without hardly speaking it out loud anyway so i just think it's a way that god used that to activate faith in your life and bring you to the point that you can you know move forward with this so yeah um, yeah, because then it wasn't us just like sometimes when you know when you're just telling something you're like hey you know blah 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 but when you when they see what you've written and they see the vision if they catch the vision but it's still it's your vision and then they catch your vision versus they catch their version of the vision. 
And so it completely, all the people that we've met and the doors, it's gotten us through more doors than literally the last 20 years combined in, in, in five weeks, you know, like, and so like, and it's undescribable. And I was, you know, and sometimes I think, you know, I think a lot of it's timing of life and divine appointment or whatever, but like, and, and that you go through a lot of stuff to go through that you learn and you, you whittle away at your own your own self so that you know that you're not responsible. You can't have an ego about it because you know, hey, I've done everything I could possibly do and I know it ain't me putting this together. I mean, it is, you know, it's my vision, but it's a vision that I believe was received, you know. One of the things I think is that because you're one of the most unselfish people that I've ever met and just, you tell just by hearing him, we just have fun whenever he's around uh, and, and Kenny's the same way and you know realistically uh, Kenny's post and your post are very profound most of the time so uh, you know I really enjoy reading them they're funny but at the same time very profound and I think by having that kind of uh, attitude that you're just in life to enjoy and maximize your time here on the planet but then not being selfish about it, but wanting to bring other people along for the trip. I think that, that God honors that really and truly. And, and so I see that as part of it because you're not greedy. Um, you know, we did uh, a couple of movies together. And, and so we can kind of assign whatever credits we want to at the end of that movie. And you've never been like, hey, put me as, you know, I, I did everything, even though you probably did. <laughs> You're like, you know, like, no, we, we have shared responsibility here. <laughs> so so I think God's going to honor that. And uh, so, um, you know, it, it's, it's always great to have Kyle around. And is there anything else you want to talk about? You want to tell some stories? Man, you got some great stories. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I got a lot of crazy stories. Uh, let's see. But... Uh, I was gonna say one thing. I think like, uh, I think what it was is is somewhere along the way. Only really one time. I, I, I kind of took after my grandpa on my mom's side. He'd gone through the Great Depression when he was a kid, and he just never really, like, he was never concerned about anything. I remember when he's like, "Oh well, well, it looks like those guys that worked for me stole my toolkit." He goes, "Oh well, you know, they probably need it more than me." <laughs> and uh, you know, when he died. The whole town. He lived in one town his whole life. He built over four hundred homes in that town, and you know, and everybody in that town loved him. And and he had never really. I never heard him complain to anybody. I never heard him, you know, have an argument with anybody. He was just everybody's friend. And uh, and I think part of that way of life. Well, then when I I was at one point in California, there's a moment when everything was falling apart, and we were getting conned and this and that. And I started getting stressed for the first time in my life. And I finally came to this point of like, you know what? I'm going to hand it over to you, God, and I'm not going to worry about it. I can't because otherwise I think, and I think it was just kind of like this release. And I don't, honestly, I said, I'm not going to ever stress over anything. And I rarely do, except for maybe five minutes, like something goes wrong on a set. You know, you got, oh no, this is missing the camera that went down. But other than that, like I don't really, I let things go. And if I fail at something, I literally think about it within five minutes and I'm like, all right, okay, well, what's next? All right. And I may have spent a year on it. <laughs> and if it fails and I know like, oh, that's dead. Okay, uh, what's next? Like, I And I've trained that and I think how that did that is because I was close to someone who put their value, a lot of their value into being like 
a certain celebrity or a certain star. And, and when we were kids, we wanted to be like Spielberg. I mean, that was like the dream, you know, to do the big movies. And at some point, I think when I saw somebody else kind of like their, their self was shat, their value was wrapped up in becoming this big thing. Well, when you don't, then your value drops. And so then all of a sudden, but your value should never be tied to a project. So we said, okay, if we get to, we're going to strive. I and mean, if we get to be like Spielberg, awesome. And if we don't, guess what? We're going to have the heck best time of life. And and I literally think I've lived one of the greatest lives I could have ever imagined. And it's not, And I've got to travel around the world and meet people everywhere, all around this planet. China, India, Africa, uh, I don't even know, like a thousand places, every state, every <laughs> everywhere I would go. Anytime somebody said, hey, that's why when Ken called, hey, you want to go to, you know, China here and there? And I was like, shoot, yeah. Like, I don't even, like, that's how I pick projects. Like, it's not like, oh, wait, here's a commercial here that pays way more money. I think, like, if it's a great cause, great purpose, great people. And, and that was after dealing in L.A. with so many knuckleheads for so many years that I just said, I just want to do things that I love and life and, and do it with great people, you know? And so we'll see what happens in the next chapter. (laughs) (laughs) It's some pretty cool stuff, but like, but like, yeah, if it happens, great. If it doesn't, great. I'm going, I'm going to have a great time anyway, no matter what. And I literally believe when you do that, you start to manifest that and you just like, I don't know. I don't even know. I like, I literally enjoy life so much. I've had people like somebody's psychologist. They're like, Oh, there must be some deep repression. You're hiding away. I was like, no, I actually just like, I think I did that too. (laughs) There's gotta be something wrong. I was like, no man. I just like really. Yeah. I I love it. (laughs) So that's so funny. And uh, so, so tell us one of your favorite stories, one of your favorite experiences that you had, hmm. maybe on a set or something. How many movies have you made? Do you have any idea? Man, I don't really know. Like, I've made hundreds of projects, but I, I don't really keep up with stuff. Like, once I do it, I I forget about it and move on to the next one, so I don't really think about it. Um, let's see here. I'm trying to think. Okay, this is this is kind of a interesting one, I guess. It was kind of a one of those moments when everything kind of shifted in our life. Um, we were doing, I can't even remember what we'd done. We'd done one documentary, I think. And, uh, and I met this, we went to this film festival and they were showing one of the projects we did at Boulder, Colorado at this film festival. And for whatever reason, like a thousand people had showed up the year before. And for whatever reason, I don't know, but that we showed up at this awards after party or something that first night. And literally it was like, three people <laughs> I mean maybe we were a little bit early I don't know but like and so I walked up to this lady and I was like well dang I feel kind of silly I, I came all the way from Texas to be here and she says uh, yeah I, uh, t- tell me about it I came from Paris <laughs> and I was like oh man that hurts wow. and so I was like what are you here for she said for a screenplay I've, here I want you to read it and so I was like sure I'll read it so that now I read it and it was about North Korean refugees and uh, about uh, how they escaped from North Korea, you know. And so, but it was very, like, it's the gulags. It sounded very Hitler-esque, you know. And so, anyway, I went back to her the next day. I was like, wow, that's super fascinating. I was like, when was this, like, you know, during World War Two or something? She's like, no, this is right now. And I was like, what do you mean right now? And I literally 
never, and this is like 2007 probably, I'd never really heard about any of this. That, And she's like, no, these defectors just came out of North Korea. And she's like, I got to do something about it. You know, I, I just heard about this. I have a heart for these people. So anyway, the next three years, she, oh, yeah, I guess it earlier than that. Because, yeah, for three years she tried to raise money. Well, there's no American actors. There's no, uh, it was purely, she came from Broadway, so she didn't have any experience in film. Uh, and she she wanted to direct it, and then there's no, it's just a highly controversial Literally, it's like the perfect death knell for not getting funding. And so finally, <laughs> she's just like, I don't know what to do. I'm about to give up on this. And I said, you know what? Why don't you just make a documentary? At least you can tell the story. And I was like, then you get, and a documentary is way easier. You know, we don't have to have uh, big crews or nothing. And so I was like, I would love to be a part of it. Just let me know if you can. She came, I think a few weeks later, and she got, now I don't know if I can say his name. He didn't want to be associated because he didn't want anybody to know that he funded the movie, but he's a famous author. And he gave the money to say, hey, go do this. And so we went over there, and it was just like, I thought, oh, cool, great adventure. We're going to go to South Korea, uh, where the defectors were mostly at. And so we didn't go into North Korea. Uh, but so anyway, we interviewed all these people. It was amazing, just like an amazing life experience. And so when it's done, now it's like a year of editing because everybody spoke Korean and Thank God I didn't edit that one. <laughs> because she almost wrote me into it. But uh, but uh, we used this mixed match of cameras. You know, it was low budget. It was this and that. All, all the cards were stacked against it. Uh, the people didn't want to be on camera when we got there because they're like, oh, wait, my family's still in North Korea. They may yeah. kill them. And so I was like, okay, crud. We can't put them all behind dark screens. I'm going to shoot differently. I'm going to shoot really tight, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. I'm not even for sure how this happened, but Robert uh, Redford saw a cut, and he loved it. He said, I love this movie. I want to I wanna be a part of it. So he brought it to the Sundance Institute, and they helped do a recut of the whole film. And they ended up premiering it at Sundance. And, you know, if any, anybody that knows anything about Sundance, you know, they get 15,000 submissions a year, and about half of their things go to the ones that are already kind of Hollywood- uh, you know, stars and stuff that's sure. in them. And so the odds of ever getting anything into Sundance are massively uh, atrocious. And so anyway, he came out, and when he opened the ceremony, he said, this is my favorite documentary this year. And uh, he uh, they, it sold out both the screenings at the premieres, and then because of that, it ended up at the U.S. Capitol. Now, we'd done a lot of MTV music videos. We'd done a lot of all kind of stuff. TV shows, a lot of fluff, you know, entertainment kind of stuff. And then, well, because it got at Sundance, it ended up getting in over 40 festivals all over the world. It won in, like, the One World Festival in Brussels, but it played at the U.S. Capitol. So they brought the people that were in the documentary, flew them over from overseas, and they played, for the first time, I believe, ever, they played a film at the U.S. Capitol. And they had just built that theater for the tourist thing, and so they played it. They invited Congress, and then the next day they started sessions. And so we're standing there in, with Congress and the people that were in our documentary from, from Korea that had escaped from North Korea, and they began to testify before Congress, and those were what they based all the sanctions on North Korea on. Yeah. And so that's when we're sitting there and we're like, holy cow. Like this little documentary we were just doing because it'd be a cool adventure could actually change world politics. And 
it ended up playing because it played at the Capitol. It got word they ended up playing at parliaments across Europe and around the world. And, and to this day, if I meet a Korean, somebody from Korea, if I mention I did that, they know what it is. Like it, it was that profound of an impact on that country. Yeah. You, you know, we we wrote that uh, movie about the Down syndromes above your dreams, and 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 we've tried to get it made different ways and different times, and, and still haven't. But we're we're working on that still. But uh, I remember we were meeting with a a reported billionaire, but he was South Korean. And 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 so we we're pitching them, you know, we're going through the whole deck. We're pitching them this thing, and and all of a sudden we say, you know, we're going to use the Sailors Brothers. And one of the movies they made was about uh, Kim Jong Il, and 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 I, it was the funniest thing because we were going through this, and it looked like you know we're 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 you know doing everything we knew to do. And when we said that, they they stopped, and I don't know what they said because they were speaking in Korean. But all of a sudden, they got up and walked out, and that was the last time we saw them. So that movie or that you're talking about actually had an impact on our, on possibly us missing out on Shield, really. But in a way, Sorry about that. <laughs> but it was great. It actually, it, it did real well uh, for well, you guys. They actually had a screening. I think it was at USC. They had screenings at colleges and and the uh, the uh, Holocaust Museum in L.A. and all kind of places and. Uh, but one of them, there was some people, and it was a very heavily Korean audience at this college uh, screening. And the Q&A, somebody gets up and they start screaming like, oh, how dare you? So anyway, it went on for like an hour. It was the most dramatic ever Q&A of all time. Uh, we thought a war was going to break out. People started defending. People started yelling like... It was like, oh, wow, this is a, a little different than like, oh, what camera did you use? Well, anyway, so they, I, I can't remember, somebody, I guess, whoever it was, they had sent the tape. Anyway, the DOD heard about it. They got the tape, and they let us know. They said, those were, those were spies that have gone dark for three years, and we've never been able to locate them. They showed up at your screening, and they couldn't take it. They got up and started. So that means Kim Jong-il heard about it sent spies to our screening and they actually got so riled up they actually started debating in the Q&A. And well, now we didn't know until this was later and we're like, wait a minute, that means they could have followed us home that night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a little scary, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, let's let's talk about another film that you made and it's called uh, Hope Has a Name. It was a really good film. You know, that. have you heard about that one? <laughs> So uh, that was the movie that my wife and I and Kyle made and where we literally went around the world. And we really had a three-person crew and, and the whole time. And so we're, we're giving out titles to different people that were, you know, came in the room while we were there and stuff. But really, if you get down to it, we had three people that worked on that film the whole time. And we watched it again last night. And so what was interesting was, you know, we saw the... The, the, the way that we told the story and, and it came across pretty well I thought um, but at the same time it was all the memories that we, we yeah. talked about while we were you know shooting things uh, in China and different places like that so so anyway that's a shameless plug for our movie watch yeah, it it was, it was truly a great event and that was one of those things you called me and you were very honest like we tried to this other movie that we tried to put together for a while and it just never, it was always kind of like hit a wall and it, yeah. and it would just stop. And then, but 
I don't know. Ever since I ever met you guys, I just loved your heart and everything. And then you called and you were very honest, like, hey, here's this budget we got. You know, it's not that much. We're self-funding and this and this. And we're putting together what we can. And uh, But they said, but we're going to go here, here, here. And I was like, hey, that sounds like fun. I was like, well, you know, if it's not. And it was kind of, I don't know, how long did it take? We shot it over I don't time. Know. Maybe, uh, I don't know, really six or eight months maybe yeah. i think and so like i would be jumping around and then they're like hey and i think i was i was literally like okay i've got a trip to india and i'm going to stop in london and if you can get me a flight from here to there then here. yeah 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 and somehow it just worked out like no matter where we were it would work out and we squeezed it in here and there and it was it was the most random assortment of cameras and problems in fact this thing was how many cameras did we use in that movie i don't know i think we were killing them off like flies yeah i think we used eight different not not just cameras but eight different brands of cameras yeah like every everything it was one of those things that everything would go wrong like there was no reason for it to go wrong it just did and we almost lost footage, hard drives. They stayed in a hotel that burned down, and their guards, their computers <laughs> yeah. went. I mean, hurricanes hit their house, this, that. I was like, good grief, man. And then <laughs> the editing, it was just like drives went out. This, I mean, it was just one thing after the next. So we should do a documentary about doing that documentary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was funny. But, you know, like, it's one of those things that, that it was these women who did incredible like gave up their whole life and so when i watch it now i really think about the stuff they go through on a daily basis makes our whole entire process making this movie look pretty pretty swanky yeah anyway. <laughs> yeah we had we really had fun uh it, it was a great time uh, a little little complicated like you said we we had some amazing really miracles that took place that that i still don't understand uh, and 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 you know for example when, when we lost the hard drive and, and that I, this is the most amazing thing to me because we were in china and so we got a heart we, we had a hard drive we brought it home my wife literally dropped it maybe 18 inches and it killed the whole drive and so we had left them some of the b-roll uh footage and so we called them and said, can you get it to us? Well, it's not as easy to get stuff from there as it is anywhere else. Um, but while we were on the way to the airport, this, this is what blows my mind still today. We took some footage, and it was on that hard drive that got dropped. When they sent the thumb drive in, this is after we left. When they sent the thumb drive in and we got it, which we had to wait for somebody to actually bring it physically to us, and when we got it, it actually had some of that footage that we shot after we had left the hard drive with them. So there's no way, in a sense, that it would work. Only God can do something like that. So it was really cool. And so we did see some miracles. We just had some challenges to work around, too. So anyway, and then, then my wife, being a great storyteller, kind of helped guide us. And it was, it was a lot of fun because uh, Kyle and I... Uh, it's actually like two o'clock in the morning right now <laughs> and kyle and i don't sleep like everybody else necessarily uh, but but it was funny because we were trying to get it done trying to get it done so we drove to your house in nashville and and so we're sitting there in the room we're both editing and we'd be having a conversation and, and all of a sudden i'd look over and he'd be completely asleep or i'd be completely yeah. asleep and it's just all of a sudden all this random stuff but it was a lot of fun 
and uh, so so we're, we're we're looking forward to making another one. So hey, if you got plenty of money and you want to help us make the next film, um, you can write us a check and 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 hopefully I can get Kyle if, if he's not too busy. We'll do another one. Yeah, it'll be a great adventure. Uh, yeah, I think like it was Indiana Jones. That was the movie that really made my brother and I say, "Man, we we don't want to sit in this dusty little town and work a normal job and." And we just want, we want to do something big in life and not like we'd be an archaeologist, but like that type of adventure. (laughs) And literally I have lived, I have not made, I thought I would make the movies like Indiana Jones, uh, the big Hollywood movies. And I haven't done that yet, but I have lived like Indiana Jones in the way that we've, we've got to go to the far ends of the earth and just like. Everywhere I go, like, I just love the people, and I love the adventure of it, and I love... I'm sure I've been in places that I probably shouldn't have been, that are dangerous, I've done stuff under the radar, I've done... It's created a lot of chaos. <laughs> uh, had people, you know, like, we exposed stuff about the O.J. Simpson thing to, like, to the Kardashians did a whole episode bashing everything we were doing to, like, you know. <laughs> so it's kind of funny because in the real world, I just like everybody to be my friend and have a good time. But uh, I don't mind making stuff that stirs up a little bit of tiffs, too, if I think there's evil in the world that needs to be told, talked about, you know. So, so well, well, listen, we're going to go ahead and check out in just a moment. Let me just encourage you. If you get a chance to do anything, I don't care what you're called to. You know, the Bible says if you delight yourself in the Lord, He'll give you the desires of your heart. So whatever's in your heart oftentimes is really a vision that God has for you. And so if you'll, you'll just work at it and keep believing God, first thing to do, just exactly what He said, is write the vision, make it plain. And then don't think that you got to do it all. Get some help. Get some of the best people. That's part of my problem is is that I, I I'm I'm halfway decent at a lot of things, and that keeps you from being great at really some things. And so sometimes what you need to do is just back up and get some other people and get some help. And one of the things that 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 I told my wife, I said, you know what, we can just make this movie. You know, Alex Kendrick made that Facing the Giants, and and was like, I get a camera, I can do this. And she said, she kept telling me, you need help, you need help, you need help. So it's kind of a strange thing. The way that we met, actually, is because of uh, trying to make that first movie. And somebody actually introduced us, uh, which didn't have a clue about what he was doing. Yeah. <laughs> but he did. I don't even know how I met him. Like, was, honestly, in fact, I never met him. I only met him on the phone. Yeah. yeah that's crazy. Yeah. And so uh, that that's the way you do it. And just, just keep driving forward and keep the faith as you go. So anyway. Well, I think one last statement I'd say is like, I've been an underdog my whole entire life. I don't ever think I've ever been the overdog. I don't know if that's even a word, but uh, <laughs> but like like, but I I like it because when people's expectations are lower, when people raise their expectations on you, then then you know it's kind of like the when the new Star Wars came out and George Lucas, the hop was so amazing that everybody was let down when they saw it because they're like, <laughs> but uh, being the underdog is not a bad thing. Like I think that's an advantage in life and I think most people when they when they start looking at a dream they think of it as bigger than themselves and I think if your dream's not bigger than yourselves then it's not really a dream it's just a, a task so uh, go for something crazy and then write it and make it slightly bigger than even your brain allows you to say hey this is my dream then write it down bigger than that 
And so that way, uh, even Elon Musk said, put your 10-year vision down and then try to accomplish it in four months. He says, most likely you'll fail, but you'll be so much closer to that 10-year accomplishment in four months than you would than you would have been in nine years. Yeah. And so uh, I just say, go for it. And and that's why, like, when I see Ken and what Lisa and uh, that, you know, they they went for it. They didn't they didn't have all every the all with with all of everything. They just said, this is on our heart. We have to do it. And if you don't do that, life will pass you by, and you will accomplish nothing. And so do it live it be it you know that's all i can say like and i don't care like i was just this little shy person in the whole world from a little tiny town there was nothing in my past or no connections nothing it was created out of just tenacity and our willingness to just live life and have a great time doing it and go for it and who cares i fell more than anybody i outfell people i that's what i'd say like i outfell everybody and then they're like how do you succeed yeah i outfelled everybody else until i figured it out you know so that's my two cents yeah man that's that's really cool so hey thanks for listening thanks for being with us tonight i really appreciate it hopefully you guys will get to hear us again god bless you as you go Hey, Kyle, th- thanks so much for being with us tonight. And, you know, listen, uh, I want you to come back next week and listen to the rest of this podcast with Kyle Sailors. I hope you enjoy. Th- I hope you've enjoyed what you've heard tonight. And I think you're really going to be in for some really some some good stuff next week. So God bless you and keep you as our prayer. And we'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.